Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 314, recorded February 29th, 2020. So today we're uh, not finishing off, but doing two more issues of Star Trek Terra Incognita Next Generation um, storyline set in the Prime Universe, but with a little bit of the Mirror Universe mixed in, which obviously we've been talking about for the last week or so. Right. And then after that, after we do uh, issues four and five, uh, we're going to talk about Star Trek The Next Generation Dark Mirror, which was a novel that came out in the mid-90s, early 90s, uh, that was the first Next Generation Dark uh, Mirror Universe story. Right. Diane Duane, I think. And, Diane Duane. And, uh, and it's pretty good. I enjoyed it. You had the idea of throwing that in, and I think it was a very good one. So, I mean, we've seen all the TV show exploits into the Dark Universe, or the Mirror Universe, and then we've read a lot of comic books lately, and it's interesting seeing a novel talking about the next-gen folks in the Mirror Universe. So that was a book that I've had in my collection, but I've never gotten around to listening to it, uh, audiobook. I'm glad you brought it up, because I did enjoy it. Right, and it is interesting because this came out before Deep Space Nine revisited the Mirror Universe for the first time. So when this book came out, the only Mirror Universe episodes or stories we had was the original episode. And then DC Comics had a little story arc with the Mirror Universe. And then then this book was the – this is what happened after that, you know, after those events but in the Mm -hmm. next generation. So uh, I really liked it at the time. Reading it now after I read all these other comics and Discovery and all the other stuff. Deep Space Nine, uh, Mirror Universe stuff, it, it does not fit at all. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Well, no. And how could it? It came out before. And nobody bothered trying to be in sync with it. So. Yeah, no, nobody cares about continuity anymore or ever well, really well. with Star Trek. Star Trek's <laughs> been pretty bad. Then they got really good since uh, Nemesis. They've been really good with keeping this cohesive Star Trek universe. But then Picard came and they're like, Whoosh, Picard gone. came? Picard well, came. The series came and destroyed everything. It did not destroy everything. everything it retconned a lot of things, it granted. It did it. not ruin everything. All of it. No, <laughs> we'll talk about it later. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so uh, Terra Incognita issue four, which uh, I think it came out in October, right? Yep, up to October 2018. So this is issue number four of Terra Incognita of the six parts. Writer is Scott and David Tipton, who wrote all of these. Art is by Angel Hernandez. Colors by Mark Roberts. Letterer is Neil Yataki. Edits by Denton J. Tipton and Chase Marotes. Publisher is Greg Goldstein. There's four covers. Cover A features Riker and Wesley on the bridge. Wesley is at the navigation station with Riker standing behind him with a worried look on his face. And the cover is by Tony Shastine. 
Cover B is a photo cover featuring Riker and Wesley standing on the Enterprise D bridge. Wesley is younger looking and wearing a classic Wesley sweater with multiple colors on the top. Kind of a rainbow looking thing. Before rainbow things were a thing. Retailer incentive cover A features Dr. Crusher, Data, and Picard dressed for action in a Dixon Hill holodeck story. Cover by Elizabeth Beals. And spoiler alert, there's no Dixon Hill in this book. Retailer incentive cover B features Riker and Wesley standing together from Wesley's neck up. And of course, a bit more of Riker due to his tallness. So his shoulders and stuff. A building on a planet is directly behind them, with the Enterprise D in space, which is behind the building in the upper background. That cover is by J.K. Woodward. The scene opens on Enterprise D's bridge while the ship is in high warp. Oddly enough, Wesley Crusher is in the big chair, asking for status reports from crewman Gilson. They are on a rescue mission to reach a commercial ship named the Hazelton, whose life support is failing. They are too far away and unlikely to make it, when suddenly three Cardassian Galore-class ships come out of nowhere, hailing them to not cross over into Cardassian space until they can check their papers. Wesley orders full stop with great frustration. After the Cardis check out their registration and proof of insurance, they bid Wesley to enter Cardassian space and have a nice day. They reach the ship too late. All hands lost. A commanding voice says, End simulation! Behind the bridge crew. It's Commander Riker, with a wily smile on his face, as the holodeck simulation of the bridge fades. Wesley says simulations are poopy ways to teach anyone how to handle a real bad command situation because the participants know they are fake and have no real consequences to life and property. Riker agrees to some degree, but also says all experiences teach us something if we are open to learn. Speaking of which, Riker reminds Wesley and Gilson to meet him in Transporter Room 3 for a little road trip that might present some real experiences. Riker, Reg, Wesley, and Gilson materialize on Fondori into a very futuristic-looking cityscape. Three Fondorians and a floating Jedi training remote meet them. The Fondorians are from their administration caste, who organizes things, and they are very hot on showing Riker and his team around their first automated factory that can assemble complex starships in record time. Of course, quick assembly of starships is just what Starfleet needs, given the decimation of the fleet at Wolf 359. During the tour, drones go crazy and start shooting their welding tools at the tourists, Riker and company, who immediately take cover. The away team starts returning fire when the floating platform they are on splits and Gilson falls from sight. Riker is told Gilson is likely dead. The second Fondorian cast members come on the scene and they are introduced to Riker as the Builders. The builders, that are much bigger and heavier and massive muscle guys than the relatively thin administrators, start arguing over who is responsible for the drone failures. Riker and the team realize their communications 
and transporters cannot get through a planet-wide dampening field that just snapped on. Riker is angry that he likely lost a crewman, comma, can't contact the ship, and can't get the Fondorians to stop arguing long enough to explain what happened and how to get Gilson back. Riker steps onto a balcony with Wesley to gather himself. Riker asks for Wesley's help in keeping his eyes open to a solution to this mess. They go back into the room and come up with an idea that they need to talk to the builders away from the administrators to find out what happened to Gilson. Reg gives Wesley some advice, saying that he needs to keep his eyes open for opportunities that could turn into solutions, and that asking for forgiveness later rather than permission up front is the only way to get things done. Wesley sees just that opportunity that Reg talked about as Riker and Reg go off to meet with the administrators in a nearby conference room. When the builders go off on their own, Wesley follows them instead, but is unsuccessful in speaking to them, and instead ends up talking to construction droids that want to talk to Wesley. Node 5834 is particularly chatty and introduces himself to Wesley. Then suddenly Gilson returns into the room telling Wesley that she is fine. The drones staged her disappearance in a bid to speak to the Federation representatives alone. They also raised the dampening field to keep Riker's team there. They ask Wesley and Gilson for their aid in getting an audience with the administrators. The drones are the real brains behind the automated starship factory, and they are treated quite rudely by the Fondorians. They want that to change, but the administrators ignore them. Wesley, Gilson, and Node 5834, and a few other drones, take a floating platform down to Riker, Barkley, and the Prime Administrator. Wesley introduces the drones to the Prime Administrator. Node 5834 makes his pitch. Negotiations begin slowly, but it's a beginning. Riker congratulates Wesley for some unorthodox moves that got Gilson back, dropped the dampening field, and maybe started a needed negotiations process that will keep the Starship plant running efficiently. Though things worked out fine, Riker tells Wesley to never again do something like that without running it past him first. Wesley only says that he will try. The end. So, Barclay was in this one? He was in here. Not a huge role, but... So he didn't say a lot, he didn't do that much, but he did give Wesley inspiration that, you know, maybe he can make some decisions on his own, uh, that, you know, rather than always having to uh, run things past Riker. Doesn't he say, uh, ask ask for forgiveness instead of permission? Right. Pretty much. Yeah, he pretty much says that. Which, you know, is kind of more, more in line with his his mirror universe evil upbringing than you know than our universe but uh i think all of us can i think all of us can say (laughs) there are situations in the business world that uh or in life in general where sometimes you just see what needs to be done and you do it right And, and sometimes that's the most expeditious way to get things done and your bosses should give you that leeway right 
So, uh, so yeah, Barclay's not all that evil. He just is uh, the mirror Barclay. But to me, in this issue, especially because we don't ever see him, you know, tying up the other Barclay or doing anything <laughs> bad. So if you just picked up this issue, you might not even know that he's not the real Barclay. Except for his rolled up sleeves, yes. Yeah, he does like showing off those guns. <laughs> but he doesn't have guns, so... <laughs> you know, like like in the previous uh, issues, you know, all the Mirror Universe guys kind of have guns, although Barclays was probably the smallest of all of them. Here he just looks like a normal, he looks like the normal Barclay, but I, I think right. I've said that before. So I did, uh, can we talk about the covers real quick? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about the covers. Because I have a few comments. Yes. And we don't usually talk about covers very often, right. but right. I have I have comments this time. Please. So uh, Riker with his leg up up on yes. the, the thing. I know yes. he does it all the time in the yeah. in the show. Yep. But is that the Riker maneuver, or is the Riker no. maneuver throwing your leg over the chair and sitting? Oh, yeah, sitting? yeah. Throw, throw your leg over the top of the chair, the back of the chair, because you are you you are tall enough to do that and sit down. Yes, that's. I think that's the Riker maneuver. Yeah, I think so too. But I think this should be the Riker maneuver because <laughs> he does do it I, a lot. I don't know, but I'd be really awkward if some guy was uh, straddling <laughs> my shoulder like that. <laughs> it's like, I don't need to see... Well, of course, Wesley's not looking at right. Riker at the moment, but I don't need to see your open crotch like that. Sorry. Right, right. So, just... just I've always thought that was an awkward, awkward uh, standing position. Right. <laughs> and then it wasn't until you were talking about Wesley's rainbow shirt, his yeah. uh, season one and two... Uh, Mm-hmm. Acting ensign shirt. Yeah, that uh, that I think I figured out why it's rainbowed. Okay, why? Because it had because you're an acting ensign. You don't you haven't picked a oh a color a division a color yet. You haven't picked a division yet. Okay. So you're all of them: command, uh, security or support, and medical. Oh, okay. so it's kind of like could, well, you're right. That sweater has all all of it. Well, I hadn't really. It looks like it's got red, uh, yellow or gold, perhaps. And then blue, and then maybe light blue. Or if, if there is a fourth stripe. It's... Yeah, I don't think there's a fourth stripe. I think it's just the three. Okay. Which makes sense, because in, you know, Next Generation Timeline, that was the three colors of uh, okay, your but, service, right? But at this time when he was wearing that shirt, I mean, he wasn't anything. I mean, he wasn't even an acting ensign, was he? He was just the yeah. annoying kid that, that Card kept on telling get off the bridge. No, this is when he was the acting ensign. That's his acting ensign. Uh, uh, that sweater? Yeah. Okay. It wasn't until he was a real ensign that he was wearing the normal uniform with the, the single pip. Okay. Like he is in the first cover. Okay. So so when he was wearing okay, so when he was wearing that uniform, he mm-hmm. was a real ensign. The re, the Yeah, yeah, the the normal uniform. Yeah, the, the the normal red and black uniform. Yeah. So he was a real ensign having never gone to Starfleet. And basically, Picard just said, you're an ensign. So no, not- they, they did that. There was that episode where he was going to go, and then he ended up uh, staying, and Picard promoted him to ensign uh, as like a provisional thing uh, so that he could learn. Okay. But yeah, the, there was a whole thing where he, he, went, he served aboard the Enterprise instead of going to Starfleet Academy for a couple of years. Huh. Okay, okay. And that's definitely uh, the time period where we are here. So, right. And Riker's doing his um, Obi Wan Kenobi routine, bringing along the the youngin, right, and teaching him stuff, right. 
yeah. So no, I just wanted to bring up the cover stuff because uh, it, it it was weird that he is in two different uniforms, and I had the epiphany that uh, what that. Well, uniform... I I still don't think the sweater multicolored thing is a uniform. That's just a shirt. No, it's just it's what he wore once he started I... being a, once he started flying the ship. That looks like a civilian shirt. That does not look like a uh, uniform at all. But whatever. Okay. All right. And I think that we've done this in all these issues. They throw in a, a totally random cover, one of the incentive retailer incentive covers. Totally random, nothing to do with the story. Yeah, yeah right. So, yeah, this one's really out of place. <laughs> I mean, the last one was a little out of place because it had you know some people running, you know, the medical right. team running. Yep. But then I think the one before that, the random one was Data being having his brain operated on, which never happened. Right. Exactly. With. Right. Oh, then there was the judo, the judo one, the, the judo one. So right. yeah, yeah, they've all had weird ones, and this is a Dixon Hill weird one. Yeah. So I guess they just had these these paintings, and they were just like, "Hey, let's just throw it on." Throw it in here, yeah, on this book. Yeah, and the next issue, not to go ahead too much, looks like it might be a scene that I don't think was in the book, which with Jordy, Picard, and Wesley all looking at uh, the holograph. Uh, world or something yeah that's... well it, it looks like the tardis control deck <laughs> or something you know oh, they're, you they're, they're all huddled around a kind of round central control thingy of some kind or maybe a hollow hollow thing i'm not quite sure what it is yeah anyway yeah, yeah just throwing extra things in so what'd you think about the issue i liked it yeah it was fine uh, you know again we've been noticing this but these are normal episodes or normal stories i should say that just has a sprinkling of Barkley for flavor. And I'm just going to go right to it and just say, are the Tiptons trying to say that Barkley is adapting well to our universe? As time is going on, as you mentioned, there's nothing evil about him in this issue. And he actually does give Wesley good advice, even though it's a little bit on the bad boy side, you know, ooh, you're going to go off and do your own thing, and maybe not 100% what Riker would like, but it works out. So, as time goes on, he is looking like he's, like, more and more part of the team. I mean, he's been on, like, hasn't he been on, like, every away mission Mm -hmm. that we, that has, that we've had at least for the last three issues? Right. Yep. So, you know, Normally, Barkley doesn't get off the Enterprise that often. If they need an engineer, a lot of times they take Geordi. But Barkley's going along even when there's perhaps no reason to have an engineer. Uh, so he, he really does seem to be one of the away mission people they're thinking of a lot. Right. Uh, which, and he's always doing a good job. I mean, here well, he yeah. doesn't really do anything. But uh, the other well, issues, he always, you know, he created that neural net thing that Exactly. Along the Vulcan's lives. Exactly. Created, exactly. You know, he's creating stuff here. Well, he, kind of yeah, he fixed the hood. Uh, yeah, the, that's the engines right. and the hood. Um, yeah. And 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 he is, although it's not a big as as big a deal. He's giving Wesley just the advice he needs to give him a little bit more confidence to do what you know to to follow through with his gut and go off trying to talk to the builders himself. Anyway, so um, okay, so the main thing is. There was something in the original Taws Mirror Mirror episode where Spock's observation, you know, when everybody got back to the ship, Spock said it's easier for a reasonable man to adapt to a vicious universe 
and I may, I may not be using the exact right words, than a vicious man to a adapt to a sane universe. So that's why they knew right away the evil Kirk and Scotty and Uhura weren't what they should be and they threw them in prison right away where the good Kirk and company were able to adapt and and play like they were the vicious people of that mirror universe. So are they trying to say that Barkley is going against that observation that Spock had and he's adapting to our world? Indeed, a redemption story arc for this this Barkley. Yeah, I mean he's definitely not that bad. So yeah. maybe. Yeah, and I was kind of teasing with you when mm-hmm. we were talking on online, whatever. Um, Texting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was kind of giving you a hard time that maybe this is the Barclay that's in First Contact and Voyager and yeah. stuff because that <laughs> that Barclay is a lot more confident. Yeah. Than the Barclay that's in the TNG episodes. Mm-hmm. But I mean. Obviously, it's not going to end up being that Barclay, but it would be kind of cool if that's that's the switch they, they sure. pull on us, that uh, yeah. this Barclay learns his lesson and he becomes good. And, yeah, and our texting interaction took a little bit further to say, well, is he going to kill the old Barclay and g- get rid of him? Or in the end, is it going to come out? Is the sixth issue of this, this story going to say, okay, Real Picard and Riker find out what's going on, and now they've got two regs where normally they would throw the bad, the mirror universe reg in, in prison and figure out what to do with him. But he's been such a productive, useful person. In the end, do they allow him to be a second Barkley in Starfleet? And well, then kind of, of course, like a Thomas Riker thing. Exactly right, right, right. So now, you know, Barkley would have to change his first name to Thomas. So mm-hmm. so is is that what it's going towards or not? Is it going to be disappointing in the end because you're kind of liking this Barkley? And then in the end, he, he does not get his happily ever after in, in our universe. Right. Yeah, definitely looking forward to finding out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, I, let me, I just want to point out this one thing. Barkley is pretty good in this issue, and it doesn't seem like he's doing anything bad, but on the last page, I think it may may be the second-to-last panel, the main focus of the panel is Riker and Wesley talking to each other, but in the background and to the left, Gilson, who was a a lovely, very young crewman, and then Barclay's next to her and a little bit behind, and he's got his arm up behind her, so, but you don't, why does he, I mean, and then she's kind of turning towards him. I mean, is he groping her or what? I'm just no, kind of, I, don't, I don't think so. Well, okay, I mean, she did is just he, have a traumatic event. Oh, oh, so he's got his hands patting on her back there, there, young one. Exactly. Oh, that's well, a, That's the way I read it. I think you can interpret that a lot of ways. And I wonder if they put that in there purposely. Hmm. Is it a little bit of subliminal foreshadowing that, uh, or just saying, hey, he's still evil? Right, maybe. So I don't know. Well, we know that they think of women very, very lowly in the in the mirror universe, almost like property, because uh, you know the captain has to have his woman and all that oh, stuff. Right. And, yeah. Which makes it. I, I rewatched uh, a lot of the mirror episodes, mm-hmm. and watching the Enterprise episode where uh, Hoshi has to kiss on Archer, and then she's kissing on the other uh, admiral, and then she's kissing on Archer again, and it's just like, <laughs> and it's so awkward, and you're just like, you know, they've been probably been friends for a good five years by that point, mm. and then they're having to film these love scenes or 
almost uncomfortable kissing scenes. I wonder how it was. For what, the as actors. the actors? Yeah, if the actors were just like, this is really weird. Because it was really weird for me to watch it. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering how it was for them to be filming it. Ah. <laughs> it, 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 it's just They're awkward. actors, it, though. I mean, wait. Okay, so actors, some actors do sex scenes. I know. Uh, so those must be pretty uncomfortable, too. But, I mean, they're actors. Well, it's so, the, but they're, it's they're also people. The forcing. But... Like, it's more of like a, almost like a, uh, an attack type. You know, they weren't like he wasn't like raping her or anything, but it did seem like it was more aggressive than it needed to be. Mm. You know, it was just it was uncomfortable to watch your your hero Archer doing that kind of stuff, even though it was well, the mirror the Archer. evil, evil version. And then on the next generation, there are not next generation, the Deep Space Nine ones. There's a lot of innuendo with Kira being all seductive and things oh, like right. that. Yeah. So. Well, wasn't evil Kira also bisexual? Uh yeah yeah I don't think didn't she, did. she have something going on with uh, Terry Farrell uh, Dax Dax uh, I don't remember them saying that I th- I I think they did but whatever yeah 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 but anyway Actors. so I mean this Barclay might be bringing a little bit of that mindset over to this universe and right. so t- t- I'm trying to justify your reading into that arm placement but uh, oh well. So and you know he did have his way with uh, the lovely Sonia Gomez, <laughs> but at least that seemed consensual. Yes, mm-hmm. the confident Barclay that knows what he's doing. That was it appears as if that was uh, attractive to her, um, right? Or at least we're reading that into it. All right. So can we talk about the storyline itself? Sure. Um, at the time of recording, Picard is is on TV. We've we've seen five or six oh. episodes. Okay. In it, the big push is we need to rebuild the we need to build all these ships. So it was kind of weird to be reading this, and they're like, "Oh, this planet is completely ready to make all these ships for the Federation." Blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Wait, Picard could have just used these." Nah, these to, guys. Yeah, instead of having to convert Mars into a big planet to. A uh, planet uh, ship making. Well, okay. Utopia Planitia, Utopia Planitia Shipyards it has been a shipyards for a long time in the Star Trek universe. Sure. So they didn't. They. I mean, it was there already. Did they? I mean, may, did they actually expand it? Maybe for this? I don't know about that. But I mean, well, they had to crank it up to eleven. You agree to that? Yeah, I agree. I yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Whereas, if you had this planet that could help you out, then you might not have had to have done that. True. I believe they do have ship-making facilities in different places, not just not just at Mars, uh, the sure. Federation. I, th- I think there's a, a, a Andorian one uh, at Andor. Um, right. And anyway, wasn't there one in Jupiter too, near Jupiter? Maybe, maybe. And of course, there's the San Francisco shipyards, which is where the Taws Enterprise was made. The original one. It wasn't made in the planet, was it? They never said that. But they did call it the San Francisco Yards. Well, I know that is in, where it was, uh, was built. Kelvin Universe. Yeah. In Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa. Boy, talk about... Why would you put it in Iowa? Okay, maybe there's lots of room or something. I don't know. Lots of room, yeah. But that's that, that was way... <laughs> 
a retcon. Well, okay, so they, they could do anything they wanted to because it's a parallel dimension or whatever. But anyway, whatever. It, lo- it looked cool, though. Oh, it looked great. And of course, the whole idea—is uh, it a metaphor? I don't, I don't know if the right, if I'm using the right word. The whole idea that they were showing all those scenes in the in the preview, the first previews uh, of the Enterprise being built, and then they were saying, you know, they were basically saying, you know, the new Star Trek is being built, and they, right. you know, that kind of thing. So that was kind of cool that they did that. The only thing is, building the entire ship on the planet doesn't seem like a logical thing. Whatever. I mean, yeah, major components, and then shipping it up for assembly like we do today, that makes more sense to me, but whatever. Right. Nope. 100%. Agree. Yeah. So the Hazleton is the new Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, I guess they got rid of it once Kirk broke it. <laughs> well, you'd hope they would change something in 100 years, right? Or 80 years, whatever. This is, you know, the difference between the generations. I mean, you would hope they would change things a little bit. It's cool that they now use holodecks instead of having an actual physical, like, mock-up of a bridge that they explode console have to explode consoles. Like they did in Star Trek Two. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Of course, unfortunately, because it's mostly populated by holodeck Starfleet people, except for the folks that are being tested, and maybe one friend, like Gleason, or Gilson, whatever her name is, you don't have an opportunity for budding thespians like McCoy to strut their stuff. <laughs> right. Well, in, in Star Trek 2, doesn't, like, Sulu get thrown from his exploding console across the bridge? And I mean, yeah, a I lot don't... of those people took dives and stuff, and then when yeah. it's, like, in simulation, they all just get up and, like, how'd I do you know, well, yeah, like, right, you yeah. So probably got some bruises, man. So McCoy, I, I forget. I, I think the scene is that they show him go down on the ground and like, <sighs> you know, kind of like he goes out, you know, uh, unconscious. Right. Um, yeah, and maybe Sulu got thrown across. I don't remember that detail, but very possible. And then, and you know, so McCoy's like on the ground, like on his side to Kirk, saying, "How'd you like my performance?" Oh, that's right. I do remember that. Yeah. Been a while since I've seen that. Oh, so speaking of the Kobayashi, best Star Trek movie ever, agreed. Um, speaking of the Kobayashi Maru, have you yeah. read the? There's an original series novel called yep. the Kobayashi Maru, yep. which is kind of like a flashback to Scotty and Kirk yep. taking taking it together. Indeed. Yeah, I, I read that like years and years and years ago. Yeah, it's been a while for me too, but I did like that because you yeah. get to see each character their their approach. Yeah, cuz they aren't they on a shuttle or something and they're all talking about what 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 it was like when they when they took it. Right. Yeah, so I think so. I think so. Yeah. I, and uh, Scotty's always stuck with me most just because he took a very Scotty kind of approach. Do you uh, remember what it was? Well, he kept on coming up with engineering solutions to keep him a step ahead of the uh Klingons. Uh uh, I, I think he eventually succumbed, but he was able to keep. I think he was able to keep the Starfleet ship and protect the Kobayashi for quite a while by That's coming up with different inventive uh, engineering solutions. So that he lasted longer, but in the end, uh, he also lost. They were yeah, they they lost. 
Then there's also a uh, an uh, Enterprise novel called the Kobayashi Maru, which oh. I've never read. Which is so that's the real one. It's real the one? real one, right? Okay. Yeah, so the Enterprise yeah. is this Federation ship that is trying to to help them in the neutral zone. So I've oh. always wanted to read it, but I've never gotten around to it. So yeah, I'm, I I don't have that one. Huh. So anyways, ha- have you ever seen the Kobayashi Maru? Uh, the the ship? actual ship. Uh, and just I think they've shown it in comic books and the TV show, right? Or the movie? I no, they never. Um, no, they never. Not even it. in the they, Kelvin they, one. They didn't show it. I don't think so. I don't remember ever seeing it on a in a movie or a uh, or or the original episode or not episode the um, Star Trek Two. Rather right. con. So I don't remember ever seeing it on a view screen or anything. But maybe. Anyway, Eagle Moss, again, you can buy one. And uh, so I know what it looks like from that. Uh, so what does it look like? It's, uh, it's not very attractive. Is it like a four nacelles with a, like a weird horseshoe thing in the middle? Because that's what it looks like on, the I think, that novel. That old novel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, actually, yeah, so it's, it looks like a, it's damned ugly, quite frankly. So it's got two nacelles, okay, but it's got, like, two really long, almost looks like pontoons, like on a pontoon boat. Yeah. That are on the bottom, and they do not look like, it looks like storage. It could be like, like, yeah, cargo. Right. It, it looks like more like store, a really long storage kind of thing. And maybe it's kind of hard to tell from the... Because I had to look it up just to remind myself. Sure. Um, but it looks like there might be like storage containers under the bottom attached to each one of these two pylons or two catamaran kind of uh, things on the bottom. It's got a saucer section. It's got a big old ugly uh, deflector dish. On the on the primary saucer section hull, and then it has a a kind of like surfboard shaped part coming out of the back of the uh, the saucer section. I, it's probably the impulse engines. Right. So that's definitely the um, the Kelvin version. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. But I'm going to look up the so the one that's in that a novel, that old novel, and we are way off topic. Okay. Uh, the old one, it kind of looked the same, uh, except it looks like it has three nacelles with like a, a tubular, like almost Voyager type okay. uh, shape. Body so this is on the cover. I this is on the cover of the Star Trek, the Kobayashi Maru uh, okay. from, I don't know what year it came out, 80s. Okay. So quite a bit different than the one you're describing. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I looked up the cover. Yeah, boy, that's uh, that's not an attractive ship. <laughs> so, oh, that's right. So three nacelles. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was four uh, when I was going off memory, but now that I'm looking at it, it's it's three. Yeah. So hmm. interesting. I wonder what uh, how they describe it in the in the Enterprise issue. I'm gonna have to read that one of these days. The Enterprise. Oh, oh, the uh, Enterprise uh, episode. Book. Yeah, the book. Not oh, the, the book. The book. book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, this the Star Trek novel came up first, right? Oh, yeah. This, oh, the here, okay, here it is. 
it just shows oh the, yeah, it just shows the Enterprise, the original NX01. Yeah. Well, maybe, do they actually have a picture of it? No, I mean it's a don't. novel. Yeah, it's a novel. If it's not on the cover, you're not going to. You're going to have to read it and then. Oh, and hear the description because they do describe what it looks like. I'm assuming, don't they normally? Eh. You've read books. They they describe stuff often, but not always. Uh, Anyways, shall we talk about this book? Yeah, let's finish and get on to the next one. (laughs) Um, I liked that the robots became sentient. The drones, right? And then I liked how they depicted the. The chief box or whatever was just literally a, a box with blinking lights. It was very Star Trekian to me. That, very uh, retro. That's how you would make something look like a sentient uh, computer, just a box with lights on it. Right. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of a big version of a Star Wars droid. <laughs> but without, I mean, but the Star Wars droids don't have all the lights on the front of it. Right. Yeah, I guess so. With because it has like two camera-like eye socket things, kind of right. on a on an arm on top of its head, or on top of the box. Right. So yeah, I guess so. Anyways. Yeah, but instead I, of I, having cute little legs coming out of the bottom, operated by a midget, it's uh, it just hovers. Right. All the droids just hover. Yeah, because once you build anti-grav and you can stick it into exactly. anything. Exactly, exactly. Would, why would it not you? have? Why wouldn't you? Exactly. I don't understand why the people don't just hover. <laughs> like Wally. And, yeah, sure. Or more like Iron Man. Just everybody has rocket boots. Oh, repulsor ray boots, whatever. So I thought the inhabitants looked cool. The the wispy uh, leader class with mm-hmm. with their robes, and then the the worker class, which were very bulky and muscular. I thought that was interesting. Right. Uh, and then, and then wasn't there a third one that that came in very briefly? Uh, what were they? The religious? Yeah, the religious ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. They looked a lot like the other ones. Though. Exactly. But but they had like, like collared tunics on. Right, right. Instead of the quite frankly kind of ladylike white dresses. Right, so they they were wearing more like a a doctor's uh, overcoat type thing. Yeah, right. I thought. Yep, yep. Whereas the other ones are wearing these these things that show off their pecs. <laughs> yeah, and they seem to have these bumps. The administrators have these bumps on the right side of their heads, and the religious cast, ha- at least some of them, have I don't know what that is. Some kind of um, three fingered kind of device hooked from the back of their from their necks up to their the tops of their heads and around the side right I don't know what that is hmm. yep anyway whatever it, it was different yep okay yeah they, they are interesting and, and the idea that these guys are you know have a factory and they're big into automation and like building stuff it just reminded me just a little bit of the uh, what what uh, Kaminoans, which are the—it's the Star Wars race that built the clone army for the Republic. Oh, the Kaminoans. That's it. I didn't—I didn't pronounce it right. Yeah, that's crazy. Why would you not? K a m i n o a n s. Yeah, I guess they kind of so, look that way. I mean, as far well, as like being tall and wispy, or well, you're saying well, that also what they do. I mean, they're, they do. yeah, 
oh, of course, in one case they're building starships, in the other case they're building uh, clones. The Grand Army of the Republic. Exactly, exactly. So what do you do with all those clones when they get too old that they can't uh, be soldiers anymore? Uh, that's when you get uh, Soylent Green. Oh! <laughs> ah, right, okay. Mm. Okay. That's how mm. you feed the younger Soylent ones. Soylent Green. That's disgusting. They're people, you know. No, they're clones. The clones are still... But they're people. I, mean, I know. Anyway. Um, yeah, that's really all I have to say about this one, so finish up with whatever you have. Um, my last thing was the... Uh, they talk about the inside of the factory being bigger than the outside, which is oh, yeah, right. Doctor, Doctor Who is right. Type. Yep. Uh, although they never actually said it's it's bigger on the inside, but they almost did. Yeah. <laughs> Same idea, although the words were just slightly different. And then I thought some of the ship designs uh, that they were making looked very much like the um, Discovery, with like a round saucer section uh-huh. with a little middle section kind of floating in in the middle. Of a, of a donut. Yeah. So these uh, were not, they were not, they were not a complete ship yet. Right. Um, but it kind of looked like, like it was Discovery-esque. Yeah. Which I'm not a big fan of, by the way. The secondary hull looks really weird. And the nacelle pylons look really weird. Yeah, weird. Just weird. <laughs> All right. That was my last comment on four. If I may say, I'm not a big fan of Discovery herself, but there are some ship designs in that show they like quite a bit. Like quite a bit. Ship? What, what is that one? Oh well, sh- Shinzo. Her, her. Uh, well, the Shinzo is pretty cool. You don't see them all the time, but um, the original ship that uh, Captain Lorca had, I like that one. It's pretty cool looking. I forgot the name of it. I, I simply do not understand the um, the Klingon ships. Incredibly ornate. I know we've talked about this before, but right. I, I just I just don't understand the direction they went in with the Klingon ships. So that throws me off. Unless they were trying to kind of copy or maybe channel some of the ideas that are in. There's some kind of science fiction franchise. Which is supposed to be what forty forty? Um... Oh, the Warhammer. Warhammer. Yeah. I th- yeah, I think it's Warhammer. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and those ships are really ornate, yep. and they look huge, and they're very complicated looking. At least the surface detail. So I was kind of wondering if maybe they were taking some inspiration of that and applying it to the some of the Klingon designs. Because That's interesting. That's an interesting take. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah. Yeah. Well. Well, the Warhammer thing was supposed to be like castles in space kind of thing. Because it's orcs and things like that. So the aliens are like orcs with, uh, you know, mech armor. And then you, and the humans are wearing all this uh, mech armor instead of, uh, you know, normal armor. Right. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I'm going to have to go look that up. Hmm. There you go. That's my All right. Anything comment. else? Yeah, good good comment about those ships they were building. Yeah, nothing. I got nothing else on this one. All right. So uh, issue five came out uh, November of 2018. The uh, writing, art, 
colors, letterers, edits, publisher, all the same as issue four, which Kim already discussed. So uh, since it's since it is IDW with a lot of covers, we will talk about that now. So since it is a IDW issue, they have lots of covers. So let's discuss that. The first one shows Worf firing a phaser here at the reader. And behind him, we see Riker kind of shooting somebody off to the right. Cover B shows Worf and Crusher on the bridge of the Enterprise D. The retail incentive cover A is the one that has nothing to do with the story, which is Picard, Wesley, and Jordy standing around a console of some sort with a what looks like maybe a holographic projection of a planet inside of it uh, with some red dots all over. And then the uh, retail incentive B, which is by uh, J.K. Woodward, is Worf holding a phaser rifle. Behind him is Beverly also holding a phaser rifle. And then uh, in the foreground, we only see the hand of the person they're looking at, and he's holding a wicked-looking dagger. The retail incentive A cover was by Elizabeth Beals. The uh, cover B, which is the one where they're on the Enterprise, was by... Oh, that's considered the photo cover, So even though it's it's obviously artwork. And then the, the main cover is by Tony Shesty. All right, so to the story. It starts off almost like an alien-esque type mission of some sort. So Worf and the Mirror Barclay are in some weird catacombs of some sort uh, with some mist everywhere. And they're wearing uh, rebreathers over their mouth. They are then attacked by some red-skinned aliens with tentacles. Worf removes his rebreather and tries to tell the creatures that they're only trying to help. But enraged, they don't listen, and the pair are forced to stun them all. Once the mist starts to settle, Crusher and Data arrive. And then we are informed that they're on the planet Lolligans, and they are there because there's a plague that's turning the Lolligans into these crazed attackers before eventually succumbing to death. Picard contacts the team and tells them that Crusher needs to focus on possible cures while Worf focuses on preparing the planet for a mass evacuation to nearby space stations where the Lolligans will be kept in cryosleep until a cure is eventually found. Throughout the course of the book, we slowly learn along with Beverly Crusher that the semi-aquatic Lolligans have been performing genetic manipulations on themselves in order to de-evolve back into a fully aquatic species. Crusher confirms that all this genetic tinkering is the reason that they're now susceptible to this dementia plague. She and Barclay also rig up a silica bomb, which will immediately revert crazed lolligans back to normal. So it turns them back from the red enraged ones to the blue normal colored. The leaders say that they will start removing the genetic enhancements so that they will continue down their correct evolutionary path. Later on the Enterprise, Mirror Reg is walking down the hall when he passes Data, and suddenly the android lunges at him, pinning him to the bulkhead. Reg is able to gasp out that this is not his Data, to which Data says, the captain does not take well to deserters, and it seems that neither do I. To be continued. Nice freaking surprise ending. That's great. I love it. Yeah. I was not I was not expecting that. No, it was good. I liked it a lot. Yeah, and, and it's cool that they're getting things going again. 
getting back <laughs> because um, <laughs> I mean that's nice seeing these little little standard one and done adventures in each each issue. But are we going to get back to the main story here? <laughs> We've got a mirror universe Barkley in our midst. So what's going on? So very cool. Right, and I did like how that. They walk by, and then you kind of see Data's eyes following him as he walks by, and then just grabs him, throws him to the wall. Yeah. Very well done with the art, I thought. Yeah. And again, the way they're writing this evil Data is pretty cool. You know, because he's... <laughs> okay, he says, the captain does not, like, does not take well to deserters, and I am surprised to learn, neither do I. So, he's surprised. He's surprised. Which isn't is surprise considered an emotion? Maybe not. No. But he learns something about himself, <laughs> which is kind of interesting with this data. I mean, he is really exercising. Well, he always does. Uh, the evil data really exercises his six million dollar man abilities more more so than we hardly ever see our data do it, and it's kind of cool. Right. Right. Yeah, and he definitely has his normal arm and not his Borg arms. Yeah, well, he wouldn't fit in very well acting like Data. Right. If he did. And by the way, how did he get rid of our Data? Where's our Data? I, I assume that our Data's also on the ship. Well, yeah, somewhere. So he kind of, somehow he got the evil Data incapacitated him. Uh, you know what? I didn't even think of that. I just assumed that he beamed over and his... Just looking for Reg. Oh, okay. So it's more uh, like our data is on the ship somewhere. Right. And doesn't realize there's another data on board. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. Okay. Like if you be. went to the comm station and said, can you locate Mr. Data? And then... It says two. <laughs> she'll say that he's in two different places. Exactly. That's the way I took it, because I haven't read the next issue, but... Uh, yeah, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, because he's uh, just there for a quick in and out. Yes. And is he going to take Barkley with him? Or... Or what? Oh, yeah. So it's going to be... Or, or just rip his head off. And oh, he could do that. I love the look on Reg's face. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he's scared. Oh, yes, he is. Surprised, scared, and oh, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty cool. <sighs> well, that so. was just the last two pages of the book. What did you think of the 20 pages before? <laughs> um... I thought the Lolligans were kind of gross, but an interesting alien, very non-human, very tentacly. Although they do kind of have a humanoid shape to them, just their arms are really, and I guess I guess their feet are kind of tentacly. Right. Uh, so I thought they were an interesting, very different alien species, and I thought they're. I thought the predicament they were in was kind of odd, and uh, I don't know. It, it was like the story was fine; it was okay, but I thought the ending was a little bit quick that they came up with that, and that 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 bomb or whatever made with some uh, chemical or something to what what uh, dehumidify Re- them? Yeah, it removes the moisture from their body or okay. something. Which I'm like that. Would kill them, <laughs> not just turn them back to normal. Well, you wanted to remove the excessive moisture, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, so these guys like live in like moist buildings. 
<laughs> it's right. like water on the on the ground and stuff, and like water dripping from the walls or whatever. Right, which I thought was weird because I mean everybody's like, why is it so wet in here? Why is it so moist? And I'm like, well, that's are they thing. the are they the first aquatic species you've ever met with? Because I know I've seen fish people on the Enterprise before, and you didn't seem so weird about where they lived. So I yeah. I, I don't know. I, I thought that the whole thing was really weird. Yeah. Everybody's comments were weird. The, there's a subplot where Worf's mad because Jordy and Barclay want to work with Crusher and not him gathering up the people. Oh, and it's just like no data, data and Barclay. Data like, and Barclay. We got to help. We got to help with the uh, the cure. We can't help you gather them all up to be well, incarcerated. And I was just like, okay, hold this on. went nowhere. Okay, well, okay, so that was two top-ranking officers on the ship having a difference of opinion over what the priorities are. And that was Crusher, in conflict with Worf, having different opinions on what's the most important thing they need to optimize around. And in the end, Crusher beat him back. And and her way was going. And and she does outrank him, right? Because he's only a lieutenant now. Isn't he? Okay. So he's only a lieutenant now. Well, she might be a lieutenant commander now. She's not a commander yet. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not saying. I didn't say. She, I, I, yeah, no, no, no. I'm I didn't say she was. I'm I mean, wondering I, if she is the same. If they are the same rank. Well, I don't know for sure, but she's acting like she pulled rank on him. Right. Well, she either pulled rank on him, or she just had, which is interesting, uh, the stronger will. Um, right. You know, to to force her way. I would just because Worf is very willful. I really prefer it if if she pulled rank on him rather than her just being able to you know basically get in his face and get him to back down. Right, and she was at the right, right? I mean, you if you can, well, you don't know possibly cure them. Then, oh yeah, well uh, yeah. You want to focus on that instead of I, I mean, agree. she even said once they go into cryo sleep or whatever, they're going to get forgotten about and they're going to well. Be some she said that. that's a possibility. Yeah, exactly. But but the thing is, they don't have much time. I mean, what do they have? Well, a couple hours. I mean, right. how do you come up with a cure in a couple hours? Now they did it, so bravo, kudos. But yeah. how likely is that? Well, I mean, there's a million people on the ship. She could, he couldn't have called other people. Why did he have to have Barclay and Data? Yeah, it's that's just right. like they, I didn't understand why he was even throwing a fit about not having yeah. Barclay and Data. I, I would, I completely agree with you. I. I Thought he would be beaming down another uh, set of people, and he did. He he went yeah. out and got some security guys. Okay, problem solved. Why do you have to uh, push against this such a big deal? Anyway. Exactly, that's yeah. my point. Yeah, um, because they wanted to have some conflict in the story to make things to spice things up a bit. Right now, something I found very good about this issue is they gave Worf a lot of funny lines. Worf was very was pretty funny in this issue. And I know part of the humor with him was he was commenting on the wetness, which I know is part of what turned you off uh, to some degree of the story. But I just reveled in the uh, in the war of humor. <laughs> so at the first one was uh, at, at the beginning in the first fight where basically Worf pull you know, Barkley's. Even though he's got big guns and he's from the the evil mirror universe, you have to take care of yourself. He's almost, he's on the ground, uh, almost going to get killed by this lunatic uh, lolligan or whatever they're called. And uh, and Worf has to pull the thing off of him. And then Barclay's 
trying to salvage his male ego when Worf says to Crusher, yeah, I had to, uh, I had to save Barkley. And then Barkley's like, well, he wasn't, I, he wasn't really crushing me. And then Worf just matter-of-factly tells him that uh, he was being strangled and he was about to die. <laughs> and they just shuts him down. Conversation's over. I right. thought that was really funny. It was funny. And then uh, the other one, uh, Worf's commentary on the Lolligans' preference to keep their buildings so moist was pretty good. Uh, I do not approve of their humid, moist structures. They are disgusting. A warrior should not be damped, dampened so frequently. I thought that was pretty funny. I liked it. Mm. And then the last one was just a purely uh, physical thing. You know, Crusher is speaking to Picard, and then Worf is, like, behind her. The eye thing? I the eye thing. That. Oh, I thought, was so bad. I-, I liked it, but I didn't know what it meant. So so basically, Worf is behind her, and he's like, he's he's almost not interested in what's going on. He's just looking around, la, 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 la. And then the next panel, she says something to Picard, and then he looks at her like, like oh, my God, there's somebody coming to attack us. Right. I, I, I didn't understand why he did it. But I thought it was funny because he basically did a Galran impression. He does look like Galran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, got, I, I find I always found Galran very very funny. In my mind, I uh, I was like, well, what did did Barclay just moon him or something? And and yeah. worked the one that noticed it. I don't know what's going on? But, but yeah, his eyeballs are about to pop out of his head. Exactly, and I don't. I, or is he reacting to what Crusher's saying? But what's Crusher saying that makes his eyes? bulge like that yeah i don't know i didn't i didn't like that i thought that was bad oh well i liked it different strokes <laughs> but on that same page what i did like was what? when they showed all the uh ships uh nearby ships uh one of them is named archer oh with, with a smile oh, on right, my face right 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 the ncc 44278 yeah you let me know when eagle moss makes that one and i'm gonna buy it yeah <laughs> just look, for the name yeah it looks like a galaxy class ship. If well, they all do, so. but they all know. do. So I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's just just a generic uh, icon or not. But right. And I'm looking at the okay. See, none of the other ones are interesting. Well, Challenger. There. Well, yeah. There's, there's Challenger. some novels called Challenger, um, but they might be based on the uh, Taz time frame. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Zukov, I'm not sure exactly who Zukov is. Uh, yeah, I don't know what any of the other ones are. Tecumseh? Hmm. Hmm. Anyway. Uh, yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. The Archer. I didn't notice that. The Archer. Right. Yeah, the only possible reason why his eyes are so open is just that uh, Crusher is saying that she's hoping she can figure out a solution. And he's like, hoping. He's like, are you crazy? You, can't, you don't have enough time to do that. You're crazy, woman. Maybe that's why his eyes are open. But Maybe. Maybe. So uh, I got a question. Why did they have to wear rebreathers on the first Okay, page? that's the thing I wanted to talk about next. I just want to say I thought it was cool that they had those air breather things that reminded me of what they had first from James Bond. So there was a James Bond movie where he used something like that. Right. And then, and then uh, again, you know, uh, what, episode one? Episode one. Um, the Sorry, Jedi were using those. Yep. Um, but yeah, then 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 I went back and really looked at what was going on. It's like I can see no reason they have that. Because <laughs> no, they're not underwater. No. 
and they already know that they can't catch whatever plague the right. the, the lollipopins have. <laughs> and it's not like they use knockout gas or something. You know, throw some knockout right. gas to try to make them more docile or something, easier to handle. They, they didn't say that. I didn't see necessarily, like, gas sitting around where you may want to have something, you know, uh, so you wouldn't breathe it yourself. But, no, it didn't seem like that was the case at all. I don't know. Right, and Worf takes it out to talk, and then he, they fight. Neither one of them are wearing it. Yeah. And then when Crusher and uh, Data come back in, he's wearing it again. Worf is. And then he takes it out, and we never see him again. So yeah. it was just pressure never wears one. Really weird. That I that I noticed. Yeah, no, there was no, no reason. Yeah, except it kind of looked cool. Yeah, <laughs> it did look cool. It just made no sense. Yeah, because at first I thought, well, maybe they were underwater, but then I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. And then they're all there without it, so I was just like, oh, well, who knows? Well, I I just think Angel Hernandez just felt like giving him one. Yep. Even though there's no reason. Or maybe there is a reason, but he doesn't make it obvious. Right. We don't need to know. It's the yeah. mystery of the thing. There you go. So, uh, and then when they do find the silicone bomb or whatever that absorbs the excess moisture, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, they throw it right on Worf, and he's just like, <laughs> what is this? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> no, why is your moisture not like that? You should be a very dehydrated Klingon right now. <laughs> Well, it'll take care of what he was whining about earlier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A warrior should not be moistened so frequently. Yeah, there you go. You're dry now. <laughs> there you go. But I did kind of like the idea that they wanted to evolve their species back to a truly aquatic species. So I kind of like that. I mean... Um, they were in love with the idea. The... F- yeah, right. And then Data even brings up that, you know, some people used to idolize the Wild West. And oh, right. Yeah. Why, why would anybody ever really want to live there? Which is true. It's very true. Are you kidding? <laughs> you you don't live long. You get really bad teeth really fast. And, uh... You gotta poop outside. Who wants to do that? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but anyways, um... Yeah, the whole silicone bomb thing I thought was kind of silly. Yeah. Yeah, it was too pat, too quick a, a solution. Okay, well, I, I'm looking forward to that. I have nothing else to say about this one except that I'm really looking forward to the sixth issue that I did have not read yet. Yeah, same I here. did not peek. Not me either, but I sure wanted to after that data scene. Yeah. All right, so shall we change gears a little bit and talk about a novel, which we don't normally do? No, let's talk about it. I'm going to do a quick synopsis. This is a novel, so I am not going to go into the nitty-gritty of what all happens. But I'm going to very briefly talk about it. So uh, the title is Star Trek Next Generation Dark Mirror by Diane DeWayne. The original publication date was December 1993 as a hardcover, and then it came out the following year in in paperback. And I'm probably still in print now, I bet. The cover just – well, go ahead. And I just want to also mention that when I looked this up on Audible – it said the audiobook version was released July 19th of 2013. Yeah, but I had it on tape, so uh, the the tape... The, Precedes uh, 2013? Yeah, it, it came out in 1993 along with... Okay. The, Simon & Schuster at the time was pushing all their... Uh, they would do an adaption of almost all their books. All, all their hardcover books. Their paperback books, but hardly any of those got uh, okay. audio So 2013 is maybe when it came out in a downloadable 
came out, yeah, in uh, an audible, audible yeah, that's, form. That's what I imagine, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I used to have these cassettes. I would listen to them while I was mowing the yard and stuff as a young lad. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, so um, the cover just shows Picard, like two pictures of Picard. One, the evil Picard, one's good Picard on each side of the page. And then there's a um, Next Generation logo of the Enterprise logo or the, the Communicator logo with like a sword behind it. And so the sword is kind of splitting the two Picards. It's It's kind of cool. Anyways, the story, very briefly, the Enterprise-D is drawn to the edge of known space to investigate something called hyperstrings, which is theorized to be able to predict such events as stars going nova. A, uh, they have a scientist on board. It's a strange uh, dolphin-like creature, and she's like the expert on this. And then suddenly something happens. Everybody kind of notices that something weird happened, but the dolphin scientist is going absolutely nuts saying that they're not where they're supposed to be. There's an intruder alarm, and we find out that there's some guy in the computer core, and uh, he's really a biologist, also on the Enterprise, but asleep in his bed. But this one eventually commits suicide after he sees Troy, or he just dies. Uh, I can't remember which one. And then they obviously know that the the real guy is just asleep in his quarters. So they do some long-range scans. They find that there's a duplicate of a much larger Enterprise-D nearby. They deduce that this Enterprise-D is pulled over from the Mirror Universe from the original series episode. Jordy and Deanna beam over using a shuttlecraft to kind of act as a relay point for the transporter. Once on board the Enterprise-D mirror version, uh, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Once there, they find out that they need the captain's voice identification, so Picard also beams over. And then through the course of the story, we get lots of details about this mirror universe. So we find out that Troy in the mirror universe is like head of some sort of secret police, and she almost seems to have more power than even the captain. Worf is a cowering Klingon due to his species being overthrown years ago by the Terran Empire. Data was never created due to Noonien Sung being killed as some sort of heretic. Mirror Spock was killed as a revolutionary uh, shortly after the events of the uh, original series episode. There's scenes where Wesley tries to kill Picard, and he blames him for killing his father and taking his mom as his concubine, a.k.a. the captain's woman. Barclay here is Picard's most trusted guard. The Terran Empire has conquered all of the known galaxy, and that's why they now have their eyes set on the Prime Universe, and they pulled the Prime Universe's Enterprise into this universe so that they can then take it over and then come over to the real universe and take it over. So that's a lot of information. So once they have the data they need, uh, Picard steals some Mirror Wesley's nanites. He reprograms them and peppers them across the ship to slowly eat away at their instruments. Mirror Troy recognizes that he's the counterpart from the Prime Universe uh, when the ship starts falling apart due to the nanites sabotage. He has to spend some time in the Agony Booth, uh, but eventually he's freed by the real Picard and Troy. The three beam back to the Enterprise and warp away while the damaged Mirror Enterprise is in close pursuit. <sighs> then the Enterprise is able to reverse engineer the process the Mirror crew used to pull Turn home. But the success is short-lived as the Mirror Enterprises crosses over a well, as well. The Dolphin scientist is able to work out some way to use the, this universe's hyperstrings to snap any ship back to the Mirror Universe that crosses over. And then they say they share this information with all of Starfleet so that the Mirror Universe can never invade again. 
The end. Not bad for like a 300, 400-page book, right? <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. I thought it was quite good. Don't um, say my synopsis. It wasn't too terribly detailed. Oh, you, what but you think, did. I oh, think I, yeah. I think I hit all the important stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, what you did is fine. Okay, so the book... Just, just kidding. Great job, Donovan. Oh, that's that's what I was going for. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. John Delancey was the narrator of right. the audiobook. So that's another contributor to the, the production of the audiobook then, anyway. Right. Um, I thought it was good. I liked the story overall. I saw some things that were very similar to the original Taws episode. I saw things that were very different. Love the dolphin guy. And it was interesting hearing Delancey do, you know, Q doing, you know, kind of doing impressions uh, or trying to sound like some of the people. He was successful in some cases and absolutely horrible in other cases. I thought when he did Chief O'Brien, the accent he used to me sounded more Scottish than a really subtle Irish accent, which Miles really never had that much of an accent, but he has a little bit. I thought he did a good Picard, and I think... He put some whimsy into Wee's voice, who was the dolphin guy. So I, I kind of liked what he did with the uh, lieutenant. Or uh, was he was a commander, wasn't he? He's in Starfleet, right? He's in Starfleet. Yeah. So, and this guy's a porpoise, right? Yeah, he's literally a dolphin, not a dolphin guy. He's a he's like right. a floating yes. dolphin. Well, right. So I, I mean, thought... he's on like some sort of hover pad where he can kind of simulate swimming, but he's swimming through the air. Well, yeah, okay, so he's using, yeah, he used technology to levitate in the air and propel him along, and he's got some kind of force field that keeps a layer of water on his, against his skin. Right. And then he's got these, like, fingers, <laughs> of artificial fingers. Yeah, robot fingers, yeah. Yeah, that's hooked, on one end it's hooked up to his, his fins. Right. And it's like, the, Wow. There, that's that's a lot of trouble to be, you know, a member. Of, and he's a normal member of the crew, right? Uh, no, he's a, he's a he's a normal member of Starfleet, not the crew. He's okay, like but just there. But he didn't come on just for. I mean, it, okay, he I was he on the on, ship. Already. I thought he came on just for this hyperstrength thing because he beams over, right? Doesn't he beam over? At Does the he? Beginning of the book. Does he? Okay, I don't. Remember. I don't remember. But, okay, so he's an Earth dolphin? No. Or he's from some other dolphin. planet? He's a space dolphin. Earth dolphin. You're ridiculous. Game. So he's a, he's a dolphin. They can't from... be oh, I know what it is. He's probably one of those dolphin guys that created the probe that wanted to look for the hump, humpback, <laughs> the whale. humpback whales. Okay. Anyway, a very interesting character that they put him in there. And I thought they were trying to say he was an Earth dolphin. And if they did say that, then it's like, wow, we have been <laughs> catching those guys in nets, and they are that intelligent and understand string theory and all this, all this scientific stuff. It's like, oh my gosh, sorry, I, I did not take that they were. Sorry. Earth I'm pretty sure they say that. Yeah, and and, and they might not be, but it's like right. I, I was thinking, well, well, if it is, then ooh man. I thought it was an interesting take on how to deal with an aquatic species that's serving aboard a a normal ship. Because uh, in the Titan book, they have one, and they have to, like, retrofit his room to be aquatic. And then he's kind of, like, in a suit the whole time. 
right? Well, okay, the one, the one that I, I, I listened to an audiobook of that, and it seemed like he was actually like in a tank kind of thing, and there was some kind of conduit, water conduit, so he can get to different parts of the ship. Right. I don't remember him ever being in a suit per se. Well, like but like he's on the bridge, he's in, he's in a, a fishbowl. Uh, yeah, he's like always in water. Well, they, yeah, I thought... So they kind of built it into the ship that aquatic crew members, you know, could be aquatic. Right. Uh, if I remember correctly, yeah. uh, which I thought, like, boy, that's a lot of trouble. Yeah, I um, thought that in the first book he was in a suit. Like, when he was yeah. in his quarters, it was all aquatic. Almost like when, when this guy when is this brought guy, yeah. to his quarters, they open the door and there's, well, that's like, true, that's true. holding back a, that's an true. aquarium. Because Jordy said, um, so yeah, he is not normally a member of the crew. That's, that's right. 100% correct. Because Jordy, like, oh, I outdid myself this time by retrofitting the quarters uh, to be filled with water, which right. is kind of funny. Which is very reminiscent from what I remember the Titan uh, of Titan. But, uh, yeah, I didn't remember. Uh, I didn't remember them doing any more than that in Titan. But I only read the first book, so you're much farther than I am. Well, or you skipped to the end. <laughs> I don't know how. No. Uh, Okay, so the the first Titan one was very big on oh all these weird aliens. So it's like it's like humans were in the minority. They were very diverse alien crew, right? But the other one I did where it was like later in time and and Riker was not a captain; he was an admiral. So it was later in time. It's like they didn't mention any of that alien stuff, you know, diverse crew thing. Uh, it was just, just seemed like more of a normal ship, right? Uh, where they didn't go into all that weird aliens that have special needs and things. Anyway, whatever. That's cool. But anyways, so yeah. uh, I thought that was kind of interesting that in 1993 somebody was already tackling that same idea. Yeah. So, anyways, you had some comparisons to the original series. Yeah. So in my mind, I was thinking, or I was noticing as I was going through the, uh, you know, reading the book or listening to the book that there are things that are similar to the original Taws episode, and there are other things that are quite different. So I kind of focused on a compare-contrast kind of thing with the Taws episode, which is my knee-jerk reaction because I'm kind of a Taws guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you were thinking more of comparing it to some of the comic books that took the TNG crew into the Mirror Universe and and what that was like. So so I'm going to hopefully quickly, go over some similarities and some differences with the original Taws uh, Mirror Mirror episode. Okay, so the captain, Kirk Picard, a female crewman, Troy Uhura, and a male engineer, Scotty Jordy, find themselves on an evil enterprise, pretending to be their doppelgangers and looking for the secrets that will return them to their own dimension. Okay, so that that just seemed to be a one-to-one matching with the original episode. Uh, which is fine. That's cool. Maybe that was part of Diane Duane's int- intent. That worked. And then also, uh, Worf in this story seems to be the equivalent of Spock in the uh, the Taz episode as the person in the Mirror Universe that could possibly change the future of the evil Terran Empire over time. And of course, we know that Spock did, but, you know, who knows what Worf will be able to do. So well, you he, say Spock did, but we don't. In this story, they say that he didn't really accomplish well, okay. much after the episode. Okay, fine, but uh, yeah, 
thank you for saying that. In books we have read, which you might get to, comic books that is, uh, he did do a lot. Uh, and of course, well, whatever, you, that, that's yours to talk about. Uh, okay, other elements that were very different. The entire Enterprise is taken into the Mirror Universe, which is definitely did not happen on the Taz episode. Yeah, they, yeah. So basically, evil Picard, Troy, and Geordi are not swapped into our universe. They're both coexisting in the evil universe. That's a big difference with the Taz episode. Taz episode was kind of like, oh, you can't cross the streams, right? So they were kind of hinting that basically you can't have the both versions of people in the same universe. They always have to swap, Uh, which in this story, that's obviously not the case. But it is interesting that they did bring up in this book the idea that uh, having the entire Enterprise and crew from a different dimension is messing with things in the mirror universe dimension because sh- they shouldn't be there. Right. So at least they, they kind of acknowledge that because this kind of like breaks the rules that the Taws episode kind of set up. So uh, it was kind of good that they were mentioning that. The, yeah, okay, so the evil Enterprise was able to follow our Enterprise back into our universe at the end. So that was like, oh, ooh, okay, okay. And then, so that's different. Uh, and, okay, and, and then, of course, the Mirror Universe Enterprise is very, in the original Taws episode, the Mirror Universe Enterprise seemed to be pretty much the same ship as in our universe. At least they right. looked the same. They never talked about there being big differences in their capabilities. Right. But in this book, <laughs> it's like our Enterprise D is like going up against the Vengeance or something. So uh, the Mirror Universe version of the Enterprise D is significantly better, a significantly better warship. It's got right. more energy. It's got more power production. It can go faster than ours. But really, how much faster can you go before you hit to warp 10? I mean, they can't go past warp 10, and they don't in this book. So I'm just kind of questioning how much faster can they really be? Anyway, they have significantly better weapons. Uh, and, of course, they've got the device that allows them to kidnap an entire starship. I mean, into their universe. So uh, those are some significant differences. I'm done. Go ahead. Right. And there's so probably I... more, but that's, those, those are the main things oh. that struck me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that was interesting about the... The same people came over. I didn't think about that. That's a good good point. Mm. I don't like that the whole ship came over. Yeah, uh, I, I, they've toyed around with it in in the comic books where the ships can come over, but I, I never really like that. I like the idea that they have to do it through a transporter or something like that to, and they're just moving a person over or something like that, um, like they do in Deep Space Nine and obviously the original series kind of did the same thing, right? That right. it only crossed over because of that. So uh, you wanted to do the compare contrast thing. One of the things that uh, this book doesn't talk about or does talk about, but it didn't go the way we thought it would, was Spock himself. He, mm-hmm. he doesn't really do much, gets killed. Whereas we know from Deep Space Nine that he was very influential and through him. And I think they even mentioned uh, Emperor Tiberius, which may or may not be Kirk. You know, obviously the Terran Empire is much, much weaker and eventually overthrown by the Klingon-Cardassian alliances, 
which we don't really get that in the um i guess they kind of talk about it in the newer idw comics or i mean is that why the enterprise uh, the mirror universe wanted the enterprise d and all that stuff in those first uh mirror universe issues can you remember the idw mirror universe comics they basically wanted resources so they were busy like like stealing supplies and, and technology and right. and those kind of things. And then the big prize was to take the entire Enterprise D because they need more ships. To uh, fight the Cardassian Klingon well, Alliance? Yeah. Or do, uh, they, do I, they say that? I, I think that was it. But, yeah. but definitely they have a problem. So in the IDW comics, the Mirror Universe is in decline. They've got... Um, Rebels that were originally inspired by Spock, and now they've got the Cardassians and the Klingons and who knows who else uh, that are are at their doorstep. So um, they want another big, powerful ship like the Enterprise-D. They want to steal it to help them in their fight to to fight against the Rebels, basically. So that does that's fit in with, uh, yeah, that's what I, that, that sounds familiar too. So that fits in with the Deep Space Nine thing. But even yeah. though Deep Space Nine, they kind of act like the Terran Empire fell a long time ago, not, and like Smiley and them, uh, O'Brien from that universe and them are kind of like, you know, they're, they're kind of the rebels that are just trying to let humans live out another day kind of thing. Cause otherwise they'll be completely wiped out by the, the alien alliances. All right, so um, so I guess that that this book obviously ignores all that because this, or it, it doesn't came first, it, but it came first, right? But uh, it completely uh, they've completely conquered all known universe. So that means you got to think that they've taken over the mirror Borg, they've taken over everything, and now they're they're so powerful they want to come over into our universe. So yep. I kind of liked I liked that uh, idea. Um, let's see, <clears throat> it makes them quite an adversary, though. Oh yeah, like too powerful. Yeah, too powerful. And then the but maybe idea... once they got the Organians or something, or or Trelane or Q, <laughs> you know, once they had conquered them, then they could do whatever they wanted to. Not, they can't do that. Got all the power of the universe. They can't do that. I mean, the idea that they were able to defeat as much as they did is kind of hard to swallow. But... In such a short amount of time, because they don't seem all that powerful. In, I mean, the they seem powerful episode? in the original episode, but. Yeah. You didn't They're not get all the, powerful. You didn't get the uh, idea that they were that much more powerful than the Federation. Right. Exactly. Rather than being aligned with the Vulcans and the Andorians and all the other races that we're used to having in the Federation, it's the Empire, and they've conquered them all. Right. But I still don't think that they have, uh, in the Taws thing, I don't think they've conquered the Romulan or the yeah the Romulans or the Klingons. Did they even mention them? I don't even remember no, that, that I don't they, think they, they even mentioned, mentioned them. them. So they didn't go tackle that part of it. But yeah, I have the impression that it's more it's closer to their span of control uh, in, in the Taws episode that the normal universe had, the our right. normal universe had. Yeah, right. But things I liked, I liked that data never existed because if if this crazy old man started talking about creating artificial people and in that mindset of what the, the Terran empire is that, you know, he would be killed as a heretic or whatever, some revolutionary guy that's just talking crazy. 
You know, you could easily see him being wiped out right. by that kind of government. Yep. So it's kind of cool that, you know. Authoritarian. There could be no, you know, data with mismatched arms in this universe. <laughs> right. And then Worf being uh, subservient and, and things that, that fits in with what the Terran Empire was established as, as being yep. this conquering race. Exactly. Or conquering like Spock and right. the Vulcans. Right, which fits in with this, the Vulcans and the Enterprise episodes. Exactly. Oh, and the Andorians oh, okay. and all the other uh, right. non-Terrans. Right. So uh, I thought that was kind of cool. And then... Uh, I don't know why, but I like Troy being some part of some secret police that, you know, because of her Bajoran powers, she's able to, you know, tell if somebody's lying right away and just throw them in the, in the, the torture chamber or whatever. Yeah, uh, well, she, right. She's a, isn't she able to actually read thoughts to some degree? Right, because there's this whole subplot where she's trying to read Picard's because he's pretending to be the mirror Picard. Right, uh, and he has to keep thinking of poetry and stuff, otherwise she'll get she'll get too deep. Right. I did like how they had to knock out the real the mirror Picard and the mirror Geordi, and mm-hmm. and almost like what Barclay's doing in these issues is yeah. stick stick them in a uh, <laughs> knock them out and stick them in their room in a broom closet or in the yeah. room. Right, exactly. Yeah, but that makes so much sense. Oh, it does I mean, yeah, you know, just. Just take a hypo spray and knock them out. It probably right. lasts longer than a, than a phaser stun. Uh, plus, you don't want to set off any kind of internal sensors that would pick that to pick a phaser up. Exactly, and you don't want to just kill them because that's just too that's just too dark. Well, no, you do not want to do that. Even though they would easily do it to you, because right. we're the good guys, or they're the good guys. Another thing that the dolphin person talks about in this that I really liked was that. Kind of like the Enterprise came over to this universe, but there's still that universe pulling on it. So it's only here long enough, uh, but eventually the universe is going to snap back into place. And, you know, she uses that line of thinking to create a way to force the uh, mirror universe back and to prevent any other crossovers. I kind of right, like that. So... I, I really like that idea that it somehow punctured through through the universe, but it was still also kind of part of the real universe and it was wanting to wanting the universe wanted to snap it back. Right. I it's, thought that was the universe. That's <clears throat> yeah, almost like a body. Then you get a sliver and then it's a foreign substance. So your body fights against it and eventually pushes it out. At least if you're lucky. Um, right. So kind of like the same idea because it, with, without that kind of justification, the idea that our enterprise in the mirror universe is a foreign body, and the natural tendency is for it to go back, or at least leave uh, the mirror universe, that helped to explain what I thought was a huge chunk of technobabble, which, of course, TNG is famous for, to try to justify how our Picard and company are able to prevail over the being very outclassed by the mirror universe Enterprise D. Right. Because it's like, how are they gonna? How are they gonna deal with this? I mean, <laughs> you, they're gonna—they're just gonna continue to run you down. They almost ran you down in the mirror universe, and you were able to escape to our universe. But then, when the bad guys came across into our universe, like, well, how the heck are you gonna get away from them? And then, right. uh, you know, then then Jordy and the porpoise guy come up with the uh, techno babble idea. Um, the idea of using the 
mass of a dwarf star to help in this process of snapping the uh, evil Enterprise D back into their own universe. It's like, okay, that's a lot of techno babble, but I guess you're justifying it enough for me to swallow it. So, so does that mean that if they ever did it again, they would need another dwarf star to, to snap them back, or well, they said I mean, that they say that they said they, any planet in the end. Okay, right? So, didn't didn't they say that at the end? Yeah, no, they did say yeah. that they could predict any planet, but right by this but, method. Uh, yeah, but like you, I was just kind of like, okay, I don't need to know <laughs> the specifics. I'm not an engineer; it doesn't have to make complete sense to me. Well, no, yeah, and of course it's it's all BS. So, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 the whole trick of techno babble is just make it sound good enough. Throw enough good-sounding technical terms to you know to, to get the point across what they're talking about, and just just go with suspended disbelief with for the rest. Yep, 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 yep. So uh, that's that's really all of my comments. Do you have any more? Uh, I thought it was interesting the insectoid LaHaye at the beginning. So there, there's a spaceship, and there's a conversation that Picard has with an insectoid captain named uh, LaHaye. And I thought that was interesting because the Universal Translator was not perfect in the translation of this insectoid. So I I thought that was kind of cool to say the Magic Universal Translator has problems too. So I kind of like that. And I kind of like the chilling warning that LaHaye gave to Picard. Because basically it was saying, things aren't good around here, we're leaving. You should leave, too. And Picard's like, well, we think we'll stay around for a while. Thank you, anyway. So I thought that was kind of cool. It gave you a little foreshadowing of, you know, something's, go- something's going on here. And uh, but, but how did it know? I mean, was it sensitive to common, you know, cosmic string- streams like we was? Because it was we, the dolphin guy, right. who had, you know, they can sense cosmic string whatevers, and, uh, and they can navigate they, they know where they are automatically in the universe. So handy. So did this insectoid have a similar ability? Or are they just clairvoyant? I, I don't know. They didn't explain it. But uh, clairvoyant. I that was... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that's the last thing I would say. I liked it. That was good. Yeah. And, and I, liked, I liked all the mirror versions that we saw. I, I liked... I mean, they brought in Barclay, and he's definitely not like our Barclay. I could see this Barclay being the one from the IDW comics. He he had a good. I mean, he seemed like he was a very confident character. He was a. He's not an engineer though. He's a guard. Oh yes, 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 yes. Okay, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't quite clicking with that. Yeah. So he's a security guy. He's the bodyguard for Picard. Yeah. Which right. I find funny because he's not that big a guy, but. Uh, but he does. He definitely is not like our Barkley <laughs> at all. Yeah. Well, isn't Chekhov Picard's or uh, Kirk's security guard in the original series episode? Um, he's not a very big guy. No, he was chief of security, I think. And actually, so he. I, I'm pretty sure Chekhov was chief of security, and. He was definitely angling to kill Kirk. Right. But as chief of security, yeah, he's supposed to be protecting him. 
but was he he actually his bodyguard? I don't, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. I, don't I remember just that. remember he was using his position to try to angle for his, Ex- he uh, definitely, promotion. Exactly. He was he, between him and Sulu. They were both pretty uh, pretty nasty, and, and Sulu had the scar across his face, which was pretty cool. cool. I guess they were, try- were they trying to say that it was a fencing scar or something. I thought it was kind of cool. But he used his villainy mostly to uh, get together with Ahura. Oh my. Oh, oh my. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else for this episode? Nope. All right. So next week we're going to do uh, IDW, Terra Incognita issue six. Finish that off. Yep. And then uh, Voyager. What's it called? Mirror Mirror or Shadowed Mirror or something? There's shattered, a, shattered mirror. I don't know. Something there's like a that. Voyager episode or um, sorry, book. There's a Voyager book based on the mirror universe that we're going to cover next week as well. Mirrors and smoke came out uh, in 2019. Cool. Yeah, I've not read that one. And all. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that's a J.K. Woodward book. So uh, there you go. Going to be excited about that. Patrick, right, your favorite watercolors. I do like it. So, all right. And then uh, are we also going to talk about Shattered Universes, that the game? Yeah. Yeah. So our third third thing's being discussed, and you brought up the Shattered Universe, which is pretty cool. I, I was not really familiar with it, but after you mentioned it, I did some searching, and there's a whole bunch of computer-generated video uh Well, it's just clips. some video game cutscenes. Exactly, right. Right. Which they've got those posted on YouTube. <laughs> so you, you don't can even watch have them. to play the game. You don't. So you can get the story from that. Right. I've been playing the game. It's an incredibly hard game. Uh, is it? Yeah. It's it's very so, unforgiving. So that's a console game, is that right? Or what is it? Uh, it might have come out on the PC, too. Uh, I know that it came out on the PlayStation 2, and then I'm playing it on the original Xbox. Okay. Wow, you still have an original Xbox that works? You don't? Well, I have one. It doesn't work, though. Uh, I, I, I really don't know why I'm holding on to it. Uh, but I still I have, have it. I have every console going back to the Atari 2600, son. Oh, my God. And they all work. Oh, wow. I do not. I don't have a 2600. I, I had a 2600, of course, as everyone did. But I, I do not have I, one. I didn't get my 2600 until a couple well, years ago. Well, when that came out, were you even born? I yes. Mean, oh, so you must have been, you know, in the single digits. <laughs> yes. Okay. But my friends had one, and I had. And then my parents got the ColecoVision, which no, I think is a better console. It was a better console, but not as popular. So I couldn't like trade with my friends or whatever. So. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure the Atari 2600 was really the first true game console. At least that's the first one I ever used. Yeah, it was. It was the first mass yeah. produced. Right, so... They have a Star yeah. Trek game for it, too. We should review that one. Oh, my gosh. See, there's some pixels over here, and then there's oh, some... Yeah. you got to get your pixels, which is supposed to be the Enterprise, to this pixel over here. Well, yeah, and there, back when things were, like, Pong kind of level <laughs> of graphical quality, there definitely was a Star Trek game. Right. And if I remember correctly, the Enterprise was some kind of pixelated little thing in the middle. And then you'd be fl- you know you you you'd be flying through space almost a little bit like asteroids. Asteroids. <laughs> and then you'd be you know shooting you know photon torpedoes or something out at Klingons. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Good times. Awesome. Anyway, so we're going to talk about the game. Yep, we'll talk about the game. You'll do most of the talking. In the <laughs> Since yeah. I've never played the game, and I'm not going to play the game, but I may try to watch more of those cutscenes. Yeah, they're pretty good, and it's another good take on the Mirror Universe. Yeah, and of course, I it's really it's it's centered on Captain Sulu of the Excelsior. Yep. Exactly. So that's kind of interesting. Yep. Yep. It'll be fun. Yeah. So, two books, one game. All Trek. <laughs> All Trek. And what a great time. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks for everybody listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.